Yes, Father. I shall become a cast. A podcast. And specifically this podcast, which is called A Cowardly Superstitious Pod. It's a podcast about the television show Gotham. And it's hosted by me, Nate, the son of stone. And I love the television show Gotham. And my co-host is Josh, the dinosaur hunter. And he hates the television show Gotham. And I don't know why this intro is themed around the different epithets of the character Torok, but it is. And let's say hi to the people, Josh. Free me from this prison I've constructed for myself. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in again. Uh, I'm excited to have this episode go forward with our new Go Tom episode, chronicling the life and times of Tom Cruise and how he goes through his daily life. So, Nate, on to you. God, What's your Tom Cruise news? My Tom Cruise news? My Cruise news? New Cruise news. Um, Starting off with the second Cruise news. He did that thing where he spoke out against motion blurring, which is pretty cool, because motion blurring fucking sucks. Yeah. That's going to be way after this when people hear it, but... That's that's where I'm at as far as my Tom Cruise headspace goes recently, which is we're we're on the same page about motion blurring, I guess. My Tom Cruise news is when I uh, recently started to watch Preacher, and uh, he blows up in the pilot. I didn't even that's know he was great. I didn't even know he was in the pilot. He's kind of not. So like, there's just a new ca- newscast in the background about him blowing up. Oh. oh, oh, okay. It's just like Tom Cruise. It's literally about Tom Cruise. Yeah, literally Tom Cruise. Oh, well. as like a pastor of Scientology, which like you know that's cool. Oh, okay, yeah, because they got to get in those digs about religion. Mm-hmm. The preacher, the comic, kind of came at the came a little too early to get real heavy into Scientology stuff, huh? Yeah, a modern preacher with Scientology in it that's pretty cool. I mean, I imagine that imagine Garth Ennis would would like to uh, have a bunch of people from Scientology like, get like blown up by grenades in their butt or whatever he would do to them in his comic. I imagine that would get him going. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Knowing Garth Ennis. This is not a podcast about Garth Ennis or Tom Cruise. It's a podcast about the television show Gotham. And because of this podcast, I now only refer to it as the television show Gotham. <laughs> the whole phrase. Every time I say the name of the show, without even trying to say it as a joke, I mention to someone, oh yes, I do a podcast about the television show Gotham. <laughs> Well, uh, it's unfortunate that we're not talking about Tom Cruise, because I don't want to talk about this episode of Gotham. This is a bad episode. So is is the next one. But we'll talk about that one on the next episode of A Cowardly Superstitious Pod, a podcast about the television show Gotham. I'm your host, Nate. And this episode's called Harvey Dent. This episode introduces us to the Gotham version of Harvey Dent. I feel like maybe we should save our discussion about him specifically for the end of the show. Well, actually... I wanted to start off uh, just getting a little bit into myself as a viewer of this episode. Did you want to do the synopsis before that? Yeah, let me do the synopsis. That's what I was getting at. Okay, so the a, I guess the A plot of this episode, the, the crime that the boys, Harvey Bullock, the best Harvey, and Jim Gordon are trying to solve, involves a man who is named Ian Hargrove, who is broken out of prison while being taken... For like psychological therapy, um, who is incredible at building bombs and is being used to used by people inside Falcone's organization to blow up Falcone's stuff and eventually stage a robbery of the old Gotham Armory, which has been converted into the vaults for a financial institution that Falcone owns. That's the A plot. So they're trying to stop that, and then the B plot is. Selena at Wayne Manor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Catwoman, Selena Kyle, has been transferred 
transferred. She's she's staying at Wayne Manor. <laughs> she's been transferred to to uh, the prison at Wayne Manor. <laughs> uh, she's been she's staying at Wayne Manor t- as a way to like protect her and keep an eye on her while they're waiting for her to serve as a witness in the Wayne murder. Uh, and then in this episode, Jim meets up with Harvey Dent, who's a DA, who wants to use the prospect of a witness in the Wayne murder murder to pressure this corrupt businessman and politician that he doesn't like named Dick Lovecraft, which is a great name. Uh, and that's basically all that happens in this episode. The very end of the episode is... Bad. Oh, well... The, Real bad. The other thing that happens is the Penguin unravels what the deal with Liza is and then reveals to her that he knows what her deal is and he wants to use her as an asset. And then the very end, then the end of the Ian Hargrove plot is they rescue him, he blows up the dudes who were holding him, and then... Kind of. Except for Butch. Butch blows up the dudes that were holding him. Oh, is that Butch? I thought that was what Ian was doing. Butch does it. Okay, Butch blows up the the guys, the Jim and Harvey save Hargrove, and then the mayor, after being shamed by Jim Gordon opens up Arkham Asylum and transfers all of the criminally insane prisoners from Blackgate, including Hargrove, to Arkham Asylum. Right. So let's get into it. Um, So like I said, I kind of want to start off uh, with giving a little insight into me as a viewer of this episode and how I feel about Batman. Um, I've probably touched on this before. I never agreed with the setup of Gotham. Like, you know, I've always thought... That Gotham was, like, a bad place in general, but, like, the TV show sets it up that, like, it's insane, and, like, it, like you talked about earlier, creates the protector for it, mm-hmm. where I always thought it's just, like, Batman escalates things to a point where everything needs to be escalated, and he, the tragedy of it is he was kind of in the wrong for escalating it when he could have done so much better as just a philanthropist instead of a masked vigilante. And my thing is, that works for one story. Where you tell the tragedy of Batman and it ends with Batman either retiring or dying. I don't think that works for like a hundred years of stories because then it's just like, fuck this guy. Sure. But my major problem with this episode in particular is that the way the show is trying to build the universe is that like all the villains are already out there and kind of exist. Yeah. And are just growing into like what they're eventually going to become. They're like prototypes right now. Mm-hmm. And Harvey Dent is the main part of that, and he's like already a DA, thirty something, going about his business, being prototype Two Face, and it's like Batman's ten years old, maybe twelve. I don't know. He's older than that. He's he is a teenager at the very least. He's got to be at least thirteen. But think about it this way: like, what age does he have to be? Like, what's the the minimum age that he can be Batman? You know, like twenty three. Really, that young to be Batman? I think that that I don't think like Batman Year One. I think he's like in his twenties. Yeah, I think late twenties, not like early twenties. Okay, but I mean, like, but like, if you think what I'm trying to say is like he has at least ten, fifteen years to go before he's Batman, right? Maybe I say fifteen minimum. I think he's got to. Here's the problem with age and Batman. Thinking about like, oh, what's a realistic age for Batman to be? Because realistically. He there are like five years where he can be Batman, and then he has to retire. Like, look at any athlete. Like, you peak when you're 27 physically, usually. Like, so it is. It gets a little. I feel like any discussion of like how old is Batman 
is going to get bogged down in the fact that, like, no one can be Batman for that long. No one can even be Batman for, like, a couple years. You'll, your body will just break down after enough times of getting dropped off a roof. That's an interesting point, but not the point I was actually going towards. The point I'm going towards is that all his villains are going to be old men. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's... I'm Like, two... he's beating the shit out of, like, seniors at this point. Yes. Because, like, 15 years from now, if Harvey Dent's, like, let's say, let's be charitable and call him 30 years old, like, he'll be 45. Sure, but what if Batman's 23 and he's And the and Penguin's going to be, like, 60. The Penguin's and... not going to be 60. And, uh... The Penguin's pretty young in this, I think. I think he's only supposed to be in his late 20s, if that. I don't know, it just... It feels like he's going to be fighting a bunch of old guys, and it just... At a certain point, it gets real weird. The Penguin's a bad example, because the Penguin should be older than Batman, significantly. Right. And, like, people like Penguin, Mr. Freeze, that makes sense. But for people like Harvey Dent, that doesn't make any sense. Yes. I'm of two minds about this, because, one, I agree, yes. Talking about a Batman story, I think Batman and Harvey Dent should be the same age. Right. Maybe Harvey Dent could be a couple years older than him. But I also think this show is at its worst and its least enjoyable when you're thinking about it as a Batman prequel. Because there isn't going to be... They're not going to cancel Gotham and then start a Batman show where the backstory is the events of the television show Gotham. Like, that's just not going to happen. And I don't think I would want it to happen. Do well, you? I don't want that, do you? Well, the whole premise is, like, Batman's around the corner. This is going to be the streets where Batman takes over. Even if there isn't a show that focuses on Batman, it's hard to not picture what that world will be like. And that's what the show is trying to do to you. But this is a show about Gotham. And it's about a Gotham before Batman. And Batman's an important figure in Gotham's history. I feel like a way to think about the show is almost like... Batman... All the events of Batman comics happened... 700 years ago. And this is the historical drama they're writing about Gotham. And so all the timeline is weird. Because, like, they've decided, like, oh, Batman's not actually the most important figure in this story. I'm a a pop history writer, and I think the most important figure is Jim Gordon. And they reconstruct the narrative around Jim Gordon. This is a very weird argument I'm making, I realize. Yeah. As I'm saying it, I stand by it. holds water. Uh, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit because you're right Harvey Dent and Batman should be the same age because like the whole story behind Harvey Dent is he is the white knight that gets corrupted and if he's just up and coming DA right now when Batman's around he'll be a senior DA that like is well known and is like already entrenched instead of like this up and comer who's trying to help take down the system and gets the system thrown acid in his face it's not great it's not great I mean, like I said, it's not... I, it's, like, bringing Harvey Dent in this early, to me, is just baffling. Uh, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with that. But also, like... I don't know. I don't need to see this... Like, Gotham doesn't need to tell me the version of the story where he hangs out with Batman. So I'm okay with them throwing it out to a certain extent. My problem is just that this episode is not very good and he's not very interesting in it. I think the best way to go about it would have been... To make him the anti-Hush. You know, we talked about, like, the previous episode where Hush is, like, the bully of Batman at school, which we'll, I guess, get into later. You, you but, like, bullshitter. Because you would have hated that. If young Harvey Dent had shown up at Batman's school and protected him from a bully, you would be... You would fucking no. hate it. You would no. be so mad at it. No. Yes, you would. Don't bullshit me. No, I know what you. I'm saying. I'm not saying that he should do that. I'm saying just, like, he should have been, like... A friend. 
Like, Bruce could have a friend, and that friend could be Harvey Dent. Sure, sure. Like, he doesn't have to protect him from Hush. I don't give a shit about that. I don't want to see Hush. <laughs> but, like, having Harvey Dent as, like, a childhood friend of Bruce makes way more sense than having him already be an established BA. Sure. I agree, I agree with that. I think I think they're in a rock and a hard place, right? Because that what you're saying is true. But I think just as important to Harvey Dent is that he works with Jim Gordon thing. I think what the show is doing is they're having Harvey reflect Jim more than he reflects Bruce, because Bruce is just a kid at this point. We see Harvey do shit that Jim wouldn't do, like the using the the witness as a playing piece and the weird thing where he's Flipping the coin and he's betting that the kid is going to pick heads. I am so glad you brought that up. That is so dumb. Oh my god! I actually really like that because we don't get any context. But he context. But he's in front of like some office building with like this street kid. It's like the courthouse, I think. The street kid, like they're betting on whether the kid will go to jail or not, and it just doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's like head, you go to jail. Tails, you no. Head, you're free. Tails, you go to jail. Yeah, no, it's... Like, Tails, jails. If you call the coin flip, I'll let you go, but you have to, like, thank God for your chance and turn your life around, because, like, you know, probability has worked out in, in like, twisted in your favor to give you the second chance. Or, if you don't call the flip, I'm going to send you to jail. And so the kid calls the... calls heads, and he lets the kid go, he lets the kid go, but it turns out it's a double sided coin and it always lands on heads I think that's really interesting if thinking about him as two like eventually becoming two-faced because here he he is taking risks and he's gambling and he's leaving things to chance but he's betting on his ability to read and manipulate people whereas two-faced when he becomes two-faced he'll become completely obsessed with raw probability like he he it's a double-headed coin because the, the bet he's taking is, I bet this kid will pick heads. It's not, I bet this co- coin will land on heads. And that's what I was building towards. Like, later on he tells Jim, like, for some reason the kids always bet heads. Yeah. That's real weird and real dumb. Like, what if one kid bets tails? That's a higher probability that will happen. And, like, then what? What does this gamble do if the kid bets tails and just falls apart? Yeah. Or he sends the kid to jail? I don't know. I mean, I think that's... How does a, that work? He sends, like... I mean, that's the question. I don't think he's gotten there yet. It's the same thing, we see it with this witness thing, because he's betting that Lovecraft will crack, and everything will be fine for the witness, and he's not really prepared for or even acknowledging the idea that it could go wrong. And it's the same thing with this kid and the coin flip. It's never come up, the kid has never called Tails yet. And he doesn't know what to do when they call Tails, because he's so sure they'll always call heads. And I think that's the question, like, what what we learn about Harvey Dent is how he responds to the situation. We'll see in the next episode how he responds to his plan going awry, but what we, we don't see is like what would he? Yeah, what would he do if the kid picked head? Would he send the kids to jail? Would he would he break his own game and let the kid go? And the question is, if he's more Harvey Dent than he is Two Faced, then he would just let the kid go. If he's more Two Faced, then he would send the kid to jail because he lost the game. Well, your argument kind of falls flat in the way that we kind of already have a picture of Two Faced in this episode. Like we see what he does. That's bad. That is the worst part happens, of the episode. And it's- it's not the worst part of the episode. I'll get to that. Oh, no. Um, it's not the worst part of the episode. I'm sorry. You're right. It's not. It's it is not. one of the worst parts it of the episode. It is one of the worst parts. But uh, the way like you're describing it, it kind of works out that way in that he gets to a point where he's interrogating Lovecraft and saying he has a witness and like he'll yeah. take him down. And then Lovecraft just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Don't like 
you have nothing. Yeah. And he freaks out and grabs him by the collar and says uh, he's going to rip him open. Yeah, that was bad. Because what I liked earlier on... Okay, so the best... Rip you open. So bad. He's not... He is very bad. He's not that growly, though. Um, <laughs> so the best version of Two-Face and the best version of the Two-Face story of, like, going from Harvey Dent to becoming Two-Face is the version we get in Batman the Animated Series. And the thing that they do in that is they set up this idea that, like, the persona that will eventually become Two-Face already exists inside of Harvey. And it's, like, something he's struggling with before he gets scarred. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's really interesting and, like, that works really well for the character. And what it seems like Gotham is doing initially is a totally different take. Which is that, like, Harvey is already sort of, like, dealing... He's already, like, a gambler and a risk taker, but he, he feels he has these read on people... And he's, like, kind of a manipulator and a scumbag, but he has good intentions. And then it's like, okay, he becomes Two-Face, and he's still basically exactly the same guy, but he loses his good intentions. And we get to see just how awful this kind of person can be. And then they double down and try to do the Batman the Animated Series thing, where he's, like, already sort of Two-Facey, and that is, I think, where it falls apart. I agree with you. That part's very bad. And it ruins what I think was actually a really good thing they were doing with Two-Face, when they set up that weird scene with the kid. Yeah, so I just... Having Harvey Dent in the series this early and the way they have him like just be as a character is terrible. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, it's one of the reasons that previously when I started watching the show way back when, I stopped watching it, this show after this specific episode. That and something else we'll talk about a little bit later. But let's talk about... I forgot, I forgot that shit was in this episode until you... Alluded to it. Let's talk about Selena Kyle at Wayne Manor. That's yeah, fine. So that's another interesting choice to pair those two so early. as kids so early. Like it was already weird that she was stalking Bruce and had like this weird crush on him as like kids, and now they're like childhood friends, and that's kind of weird too. It is very weird. I don't because then it's like it raises this question where again I think. Maybe the tactic to take with the show is to not think about what happens when he's Batman because he's not going to be really be Batman. But if you do, it's like, well, when they meet and she's Catwoman, does she know that he's Bruce Wayne? How could she not know at that point? You know, she might, yeah. But then it's like that's also kind of an interesting story. The idea that like they have this thing in their civilian identities from when they're kids, and then maybe they don't see each other for a while. And then they meet in costume and start to develop the thing in costume. And then the reveal of, like, one of them... Like, especially if she figures it out before he does. Which would be... Not, but, like, that's a good story. Uh, they're not gonna... They, that's not gonna... That story won't happen. But I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's just... Again, it's just a weird choice. Like, it feels way too soon to build these kind of connections. I guess they... We're in nine episodes of season one. I guess. It is, like... It's another, like, thing where it's, like, I kind of understand why they're making the decision, but it is, like, dumb. Because Bruce needs something to humanize him, right? Yeah. Because he's very weird. Very weird. He does one of the weirdest things in this episode as part of his I'm Becoming Batman thing, where he goes in a pool fully closed, like, covered in, like, actual, like, a, like a nice uniform, is... and tries to hold his breath underwater. That's... I actually really like that scene. I like all the weird stuff with him sort of proto-Batman training, where it's like, 
Yeah, this is the shit you would do around your house if you were a kid and were like, I got to train to be a superhero. Like, I'll see if I can hold my breath in the pool. and I'll, While fully clothed? While fully clothed, because, like, you know, what if he falls in the ocean in his Batman costume? He's going to have a whole cape on it's then. Just, it's so ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but I think, like, it. kids are ridiculous. Like, it's, I feel the same way about that scene as I do about him listening to metal. Where I'm like, yeah, that's what Bruce Wayne as a kid would be like. <laughs> he would he would get in the pool fully clothed and have a fist fight on the porch with his butler. And use his dad's watch to brass knuckle his childhood bully. <laughs> that shit was rad. Don't tell me that wasn't rad. <laughs> so dumb. Um, what, was, what the fuck was I going to say? Okay, so he's really weird and he needs something to humanize him. And like, yeah. if you're a television show writer, then I think like, give him a love interest. It's like a perfectly... That is, like, a standard response to, like, this character needs to be humanized. I mean, it's sort of what happened in, in the comics with the Authority Code. They were like, oh, Batman's weird and he's reading his gay. Quick, give him a girlfriend. And that's how we got Batwoman. But, like, I get that impulse. But then it's like, why didn't they just make up a kid? Like, another kid that he could be? You mean that's how we got Catwoman? No, no, no. Batwoman was introduced after the Wortham thing. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because modern comics now she's a lesbian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't no, no love interest there. Yeah, no, it was way different. She had a purse, like a utility purse. Where she it was very bad. I don't know anything about this. This is that's wild. Yeah, I thought yeah. Batman was like a more modern character. Do you know about the seduction of the innocent thing? No. Okay, so the part of the reason the comics authority code exists was because there was this pop psychologist named Frederick Wortham who was like all about like oh sh- pop culture is corrupt in the children, and he was super fixated on comics and he was super fixated on Batman, and his thing was that like. He felt like Batman and Robin read as, like, gay lovers. Well, there were a lot of odd choices. Sure. And I don't think that's not... I don't think that's... I'm, just, I'm specifically thinking about a famous comic where, like, they're in the same bed together. Sure, sure, sure. I'm not saying that that's an invalid read of their relationship. Especially in those early comics. But that was his take. And he portrayed it as being a bad thing. And one of the ways they tried to deflect from that was they introduced Batwoman and... I think Batgirl is, came around at that time, too. But the original Batwoman, she was like... She was Carol Kane, or whatever her fucking name is. What is her name in the comics right now? Kathy Kane. Kathy Kane. Like, it was the same name, but she was just, like, a completely different character. And she wasn't really around for that long, because all she existed to do was to deflect the queer reading of Batman. But the, that was, like, the big cool thing when they reintroduced her in 52, was they, like, took this weird character... And made her something that was, like, actually cool and her own thing that could stand on her own outside of her relationship to Batman. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that outside of, like, the modern version of her, so that's interesting. Yeah. But she did have a utility purse. It was very bad. <laughs> utility purse. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I guess I get what you're saying. Again, I feel like my theory about having Harvey Dent as a best friend also could have worked as a humanizing thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying, like... They should have just, they should have either used Harvey Dent or they should have just made up a character, like just a kid from his school. But then they were like, no, it needs to be somebody, they're like, oh, but his love interest is Catwoman, so it has to be Kid Catwoman. And it's very, it ends up being very weird. Yeah, it does. And Alfred's real weird about it too. He's real cold towards Catwoman for like seemingly no reason at first. She's bad. She's a bad girl from the streets who steals things and she's a bad influence on Master Bruce. (laughs) Which... It's funny because like there's this moment where like Alfred doesn't want her to stay there, and then Bruce like demands 
that she stay there. And, like, Bruce clearly wears the pants in that relationship. Yeah, seeing... Like, this 10-year-old, 12-year-old, whatever age he is, he's He's young. definitely not 10. He's definitely not he, 10. I don't know why I want to call him 10 years old. Anyway, <laughs> um, he clearly, like, puts his foot down and, like, says, she's staying here. And he's like, oh, all right. It's like, damn. Yeah, it's, um... Seeing, them, seeing Bruce as a kid really puts a highlight on how weird the power dynamics of his relationship with Alfred is because it's it's always there in the background of this thing where it's like well Alfred's basically his dad but also Alfred works for him yeah so like and it's weird when he's an adult and it's way weirder when he's a kid because it's like yeah at any moment he could be like no fuck you I'm doing this shut up Alfred you're my you work for me or or he could just fire him and it's like that's weird. That's weird. You could fire your dad. Yeah. <laughs> it makes life so much easier, though. <laughs> but, you know, it's just... It's a very weird dynamic, and I get why they're doing it. But in this episode, specifically, it comes off just seemingly out of the blue. <laughs> Especially when we get towards later episodes about Alfred. Yeah, Alfred's a, Alfred's a weird character. Alfred's a weirder character than he ever gets credit for. Like, the idea that it, like, he, he sort of, like, feels like a thing that should maybe, I don't believe this, but he feels like a thing that should have maybe been phased out, right? Like, other, no other characters really keep their, like, butlers, except for Batman, because he's, like, one of the only majors, he's, like, an important supporting character. I mean, there's also the Alfred copycat Jarvis in The Avengers. Yeah, but Jarvis is, like, barely ever around. Yeah. So having, uh, it, I mean, it does make sense. Like, I, it is kind of weird that Alfred's still a thing. I want to also talk about how Bruce is not going to school anymore. Like, school was just convenient for an episode. Yeah, that was weird. Because it was a big deal. And then, like, Selena walks out on him, like, uh, just studying up, I guess. And he says he's developing his own curriculum so he knows what he wants to do. And it's like, is he homeschooled now? What's going on? Yeah. He's not going back to school. <laughs> I don't remember if we ever get more of him back at school. Like, was it just that, like, one scene at school to show that he had a bully? <laughs> yeah, it's, like, weird, because then it's, like, what happens? Because Alfred's, like, you gotta go back to school so you can socialize. Wait, I'm sorry. You gotta go back to school, Mr. Bruce, so you can learn to socialize. <laughs> and I think it's, like, the 23rd Alfred accent you've done since we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's almost like it's a running joke. Um, and then, uh, there's that whole thing where he's like, I don't want to go back to school. I got a bully. And Alfred's like, you gotta go back to school, Mr. Bruce. And then they have the fight. And then it's like, after that, is Alfred like, all right, cool. You don't have to go back to school. Or is Bruce like, hey, I'm not going back to school. Fuck you, Alfred, or you're fired. Like, what happened off screen? We don't know. And like, what does that mean for the the narrative we saw on screen? Because neither of those resolutions make any sense. Not at all. It's so weird. The other the option school, is... The school just felt convenient for, like, a fucking episode. It makes more sense for him not to go to school, right? Yeah, it makes more sense for him to be homeschooled. But at the same time, like, I like the idea of him developing, like, friendships that will grow into something when he's at school, but the show doesn't want to really fucking do that, apparently. We do it Elseworlds where Batman has to go to public school and he doesn't ever become Batman. Because he, like, realizes it's There was a cancelled TV series called, like, Gotham High or something. About, like, Batman at school, but also all the villains went to the same school. Yeah, it was a cartoon. I've seen the I've seen And, the like, Bane's a art. jock. And it's real weird. 
Real weird. It is weird. I kind of wish it existed. We should, I wish we could have been doing a podcast about that weird <laughs> show that's not going to exist. Yeah. So, yeah, everything's weird with Bruce and Selena, and they have this weird relationship where she clearly has a crush on him. And we'll talk about more of that in the next episode. Sure, but like this episode specific, also like she does this weird like childhood bully slash crush thing where it's like, uh, especially towards the end where they're like having a food fight, and she's like, "If you hit me, you get to kiss me." Yeah. And she asks if he wants to kiss him earlier in the episode too. And, and she keeps just, doing it in the next episode. It's real weird. It's like an arc in the next episode. It's real weird. It's weird. That's that's what I wanted to mention. How do you feel about Catwoman as a character overall? She's okay. Like, I think overall, I like her characterization as a street kid. Mm. And like, oh, no, no, I meant, like, across the board. Like, oh. taking into account the comics and the movies and stuff. Oh, I like how do Catwoman you feel about... as a character a lot. Like, I think she's a great foil to Batman. I think she's way better when she's not around Batman. Like, I like the, the Catwoman solo series, like the um, Brubaker and Darwin Cook stuff, mm-hmm. way more than I like, like any story where she's hanging out with Batman. How do you feel about the Jeff Loeb when in Rome? I like that comic a lot, too. Yeah, I like that one, too. But I like that she has ties to Batman. I also just like their dynamic. I mean, not necessarily as lovers, but like as someone that commits crimes that Batman kind of needs to stop, but also has personal feelings for. Sure. Kind of makes Batman seem like a real fucking hypocrite. Right? And I like that. Because, like, he's human, you know? Do you think that that dynamic works better, or... Do you agree with me that that dynamic works better when it's Black Cat and Spider-Woman? Or Spider-Man. Why did I say Spider-Woman? That was weird. Clearly you have some fantasies. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that... I think that dynamic works better with Black Cat and Spider-Man than I think it does with Catwoman and Batman? Because I feel like Spider-Man's a fuck-up. I mean, it's way more believable to me that he would let somebody go because he's horny than than it is for me to believe that Batman would do that. I guess. I mean, when you think about all the shit that Batman deals with and goes after, jewelry robber is kind of low on the list compared to the Joker murdering everybody in town with Joker gas. Yeah, but Batman hates crime. It's... What, I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Like, it is... And also, I, like, it's clearly a thing with Batman, too, because there's a the whole thing with uh, Talia... Yeah. Uh, and, like, a lot of his lovers end up being criminals. Yeah, a lot of them. Does he have a thing with Lady Shiva at some point? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. He has, like, a relationship with her, like, as a supporting character. Like, she's trained him before. But not, like... I don't think they've ever had, like, a romantic thing. Okay. But it's just, like, that's kind of, like, a thing with him. And I think that's a... Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing. Because, like, you know... Yeah, I mean, his weakness is hot, hot ladies in spandex. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot. He's into a lot of criminals: Catwoman, Talia, Jezebel, Jet, the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> sure does love that Joker. When are those two gonna get a room? I mean, they definitely kiss at the end of the Killing Joke. I refuse to believe any other interpretation. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, I, there was a couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, I did want to circle back to Dick Lovecraft. Because, like, as a name for, like, a one-off character, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it's, like, on the level of Mario Pepper. Yeah, Dick Lovecraft. And, like, the, what made it more ridiculous when, like, Harvey Dent was, like, consistently saying, Lovecraft will do this, Lovecraft will do that. It's like, why name him Dick Lovecraft? He's, he's named Lovecraft, right, because of the Arkham thing. I guess, but it doesn't seem to build up to anything. No, he doesn't even really have a connection to Arkham. 
At no. least not one that's explicit on screen. It's just a weird name choice. It is a weird. It's weird that it's Lovecraft, and it's weird that it's Dick Lovecraft. <laughs> the show has a real penchant for ridiculous names, and I also wanted to talk about the penguin. So he definitely deserves some mention. Yeah, he's very creepy and manipulative in this episode. Yep, which brings me to the word of the pod, lilac. Oh yeah, he smells the perf- yeah. So he breaks into Liza's apartment and uh, starts literally sniffing around. Yeah, by all means of that term, uh, and sniffs her bedclothes and sniffs like her scarf and like smells lilac and like that's all he says and then he just leaves after being creepy. Is... And the best part about this scene is the soundtrack where there's like some bass going on yeah, it's... and it's basically doing like the Inspector Gadget theme. It's real weird. Yeah, it's like it's like the music that plays when you have to like investigate a room in a point and click adventure game. Yeah, but it was like really channeling Inspector Gadget. Yeah. It's like, it's weird cuz it's like the they're almost like framing the penguin like he's like he's also a detective, but a creepy evil one. And then he tests something worse later on. He stops by Fish Mooney's hangout to just do a sniff by. Like literally, all he does is go in there, veiled threats, sniffs her, says lilac again, and walks away. He's following up on a lead, dude. Yeah, but he just goes in there to smell her. It's like, if you think about how ridiculous that fucking is. Oh, it's completely ridiculous. It's weird that, like, because that could have easily just worked with, he smells the lilac, and he's like, oh, this is like a fish moony. Well, no, I guess he smells like lilacs because he's supposed to smell like Falcone's mom. Yeah. Super weird. And on top of that, like, sniffing's a huge thing in, like, villains in this season, in this series, because... Butch sniffed Barbara. Yeah. And then Ed sniffs his mysterious lover. And then the penguin's sniffing everybody. It's just all real weird. I mean, it's definitely like, this is the show's like, shorthand for creepy is you sniff people. And, I mean, I like that the penguin knows what's up with Liza now and is like using it to his advantage and sitting on it. Mm-hmm. But, it was just really weirdly done. It was very weirdly done. Like, honestly, like, with the way the show portrays things... They could have easily just had that last scene where he shows up and he's like, hey, I know what you're doing. Yeah. Without any of the setup. Because, like, I believe that he could have figured that out. He's the penguin. <laughs> I also wanted to talk a little bit about... <clears throat> How the Riddler is a gamer. Gamers rise up. Yeah, what? <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was funny. He's like, do you play video games? And he's like, I do. And it's like, yeah, of course you do. So weird. Randomly weird, especially in this era where typewriters and God, the time. ported phones like it's just I don't get. There's it's a, so ambiguous. There's a part with like that that gets me real bad in the next episode, specifically in regard to who does and does not have a phone. Well, Jim Gordon clearly has a cell phone in this episode. Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. Very weird. Um, and I want to talk about. Uh, the bomber. So his name was Ian Hargrove, who's not anything in the comics, as far as I know. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that he's not. A, he feels like a comics character. He's not. He does feel like one because he's like a bomb expert. Uh, he does this weird thing when he leaves, like when in the first part of the episode where he's like being transferred to another facility, uh, and that leads to the transfer going awry and him getting captured by Fish's men. Uh, he has matches in his mouth. Yeah, he's like, I think he's, like, planning an escape or something. Yeah, like, he was, like, he had matches that just, like, 
onto his hands, and then he's just fumbling around with it in the car, and he creates some weird thing with it, but, like, it's never explained or followed up on. I think it's just, like, an origami thing he makes. Actually, I don't think he's planning escape. I think the point of that is just to show us that he's really resourceful. Like, very early on. It felt to me, like, what would have been kind of cool is if he was, like, the original Matches Malone. I guess, but that doesn't really make sense, because Matches Malone is just, like, a gangster. Yeah, but, like... Him being like the inspiration for it, like or, so, or building up to that, would have been kind of interesting. But just it's a weird throwaway that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I do. I like him as a character because I think he fulfills a role that you kind of need, which is like with a show like this, it's very much about like Batman villains and the super, the idea of the supervillain. It can feel like I think it's necessary to have a character who is struggling with a mental illness, who like is focused on one thing that they do very well, but isn't evil. Like, that right. is, like, the, somebody who has all of those things, and it doesn't just mean you're the Mad Hatter. Like, right. I think when his brother is like, oh, he's not a bad person, he's just sick, is like, that's sort of vital for this show to keep it from just being, like, a beating on the mentally ill, which it very easily could be. Right, and then that kind of builds towards Arkham. So, like, Gordon has a thing with the mayor where he, like, jumps on him for, like, Blackgate not sufficiently taking care of its mentally ill patients. And they act like the whole thing with him arresting the mayor didn't really happen because it just doesn't feel like there's anything about that. I think it does. I like, think how it's... can the mayor be in the same room as him after the last time he saw him, he was leaving him to the mercy of Carmine Falcone. He was talking about killing him. Yeah. I th- like, the I last don't... time we saw the mayor, he was like, whoa, I gotta go. I don't want to hear about your crimes. I don't think they've completely forgotten about it. Because it's like, yes, the mayor does not go, hey, you tried to arrest me, dude. But it is clear that their dynamic is different than before. Like, Gordon is, like, clearly, like, has no time for his shit and just fucking yells at him. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's clear on Gordon's side of things. He's not afraid of the mayor. On the mayor's side of things, it's weird. Like, it feels like to me like Gordon is acknowledging there's a difference between them right now mm-hmm. because of what happened, and the mayor's not acknowledging it. But that's kind of the mayor's thing, right? He doesn't acknowledge the problems. I guess. And I feel like the thing with the, this, the way uh, the Arkham stuff shakes out at the end of this episode is another example of the show having like weirdly good like social and political critiques. It also is an example of the show with weird time frame. Because they just oh, talked about so having fast. Arkham and getting that land deal... And now Arkham's completely renovated all of a sudden? No, though, that's a point. Gordon's like, that building's 200 years old. Like, but it's not sufficient. He is, cl- it is, in the show, he's rushing it. It still just feels more rushed than ever because it, it feels like freshly acquired and, like, maybe not even that much work was done to it. I don't think any work is supposed to have been done to it. I think that's the idea. They didn't go through with the plan yet. They're just putting them in there because the mayor is doing the same thing he did with the homeless kid epidemic where he's just like rushing a plan through so that he can make a statement that makes him look good without really caring about the consequences that it's going to have for the people he's supposedly helping. And I really like, so Arkham is a big deal in like the Batman mythology, right? And there's like a lot of different explorations of Gotham, but almost all of, almost none of them deal with it in a really like materialist way there. We get stuff like uh, that hints that, Oh, maybe there's something supernatural happening at Gotham or, like, it's like there's a portal to hell type shit. And we get stuff like, um, I said Gotham, I meant Arkham. 
We get stuff like the the Grant Morrison, Dave McKean, Arkham Asylum graphic novel, which is like, oh, Arkham is this like metaphorical, psychological, shadow world hellscape. And I like that this show's premise is like, oh no, Arkham is the way it is because municipal politics suck. Mm-hmm. And the politicians aren't paying attention and the money's not there for the mentally ill. And it's just a shitty, poorly run place because that's what happens in a city like this where everything is corrupt and nobody is, like, watching for stuff like that. And I think that's a really solid, like, yeah, that makes sense. I can agree with that. It just, again, it just feels like the show's moving incredibly fast. Oh, yeah, it is moving super fast. But that's what I like about it, man. I like that it's, like, it's just cooking. Uh, it's gonna, like, pick up soon. We're, gonna, like, we're hitting, like, a, a fucking, a gulf stream of plot. And the show is just going to accelerate from here for a while, at least. Well, we're in one of those rare episodes where Penguin hasn't killed anybody. He did not kill anyone in this episode. Do we want to talk about the bad, bad shit? Yeah, let's talk about the bad, bad shit. So, like, this was, like, if Harvey Dent was, like, the hammer that started nailing in my coffin of never wanting to watch the show again, like, this is the final fucking nail in the coffin. I could just imagine you watching the final shot of this episode and, like... Just, just like throwing your TV in a river. Yeah, hundred like, percent. It's so bad. So the lead up to this is Barbara left a note in her own apartment to Jim. So weird that she is. She said she's nervous and needy and needs to fix herself and get a hold of herself, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, see, and this starts off not bad. She loves him and she's leaving for a while, but like temporarily. Like it's not like a breakup. It's not like. We're over. It's like, uh, I just need to go, like, take a look at myself, which kind of makes sense for the plot line that's been happening so far, where the last episode she was freaking out and pointing guns at everything because she had trauma from being tortured by Zaz and Carmine after she stupidly went to them to go plead for Jim's life. Yeah, I like the idea of showing us, like, a more, like, this is what a more, like, realistic and rounded person who's not... Like a super cop like Jim Gordon or a budding supervillain like the Penguin, this is how this kind of person would respond to these wild events happening. It would make them upset and scared and paranoid and they would want to leave. Which makes perfect sense until the next time we fucking see her. And then it, the fucking. That's it. Like, that's the beginning. In the beginning of the episode, we don't see Barbara again. There's like a couple mentions. Like, Jim is weird. And like Bullock notices. And yeah, and Bullock's like, ah, oh, them high society dames will put you in a real tizzy. Or whatever fucking weird shit he says because he's Harvey Bullock. No, that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> and and then and then the final shot is her. So Jim uh, calls her on his cell phone that he yeah, has. Yeah, cell phone that he has in this episode, but probably in no other episodes. Like I think it's the first time we've seen it. Honestly, I think so. And we're gonna have to do like a segment called "Sightings of Jim's Cell Phone." Yeah. And uh, he's talking about like how like he's worried about her and he cares about her and he loves her. And then it shows her semi-seemingly naked in bed. And the next thing we see is Renee Montoya's hand going over to hold her and presumably have sex again. Oh my god. She was getting better. Both of them were getting better. Yeah, earlier in this fucking episode, <laughs> Renee Montoya and Chris Pizzell introduced them to Harvey Dent, and they're like all on the same page and same team. And this is after Barbara already left, so it's like Re- Renee is sitting at the same table as Gordon while this shit's already happening. Oh, it makes her so awful. And it makes Barbara 
awful because she didn't break up with Jim. She's legitimately cheating on someone who she has, in the past eight episodes, claimed to love with all of her heart. It would have been bad if it was a breakup note, if it was like, I'm sorry, things aren't going to work out between us, Jim, I just can't do this. Like, it still would have been bad because it's like, how is Montoya any different than Gordon, like, in that regard? But the fact that it's very much not a breakup note makes both of them so awful. Like, they should be good, especially Montoya. She should be a good character. Why does the show want her to suck so bad? It's just baffling. It is so utterly baffling. It's just like a random twist that seemingly comes out of nowhere and makes no goddamn sense, especially for Barbara as a character that they've built up. Because, like, like I was saying, like, she has, like, claimed to be, like, so in love with Gordon every time Montoya questions her, and all of a sudden they're back together having sex. Like, what? What? It's like we... What? Yeah. It's like... This almost would have worked if the show was about Montoya, right? Like, if the show was, like... Okay, Renee Montoya is a Greg Rucker protagonist. She smokes and she drinks and she's shitty. And she's trying not to be shitty, but it's very hard. Like, and if there was, like, a point in the show where she, like, hooked up with a woman who was in a relationship. And she was, like, working with the guy. It would be one of those things where you'd be like, ah, come on, Renee. But the fact that she's, like, a secondary character and we don't get any of her perspective just makes her seem like an absolute fucking dick. A dick, a sleazebag, just overall awful. And, again, like, it doesn't make sense for Barbara to be here. Because prior to this, all Renee was doing was dunking on Jim. And then Jim's proven to be right and they never killed anybody. And has always been on the right side of the law and is fighting for everything. And all he did maybe in, like, the past episode before she left was, like, kind of, like, say, I'm busy. I have to kind of work on things. And mm-hmm. she kind of got frustrated by that. And But it's, like... It makes no sense. There's no build-up here. It just happens. It, no, it makes no fucking sense. Because I think what they want this to read as is, like, Barbara, in, like, a moment of desperation and weakness, runs to something that feels safe. Like, back to an old relationship. But the relationship with Montoya should not feel any safer than the relationship with Gordon. Because they're literally working on the same fucking case. Also, Montoya is apparently established as a terrible relationship. Like, early on in the season, like, they, she was talking about how she was a bad partner. Yeah, it's not... Uh, it was so bad. And she was being shitty to her. Yeah. No, it's bad. It's awful. It's a very bad plot line. All the Barbara stuff has been really bad. This is... Like, it is... This is the worst it's been yet. I don't know. I don't... I'm not gonna say it doesn't get worse. I don't think it gets worse than this. But this is really bad. It completely ruins the work they had done in the last few episodes of making Montoya into a like more likable character. Which she should be, because she's... I, What's even worse is, like, not even, like, an episode or two. Like, maybe two episodes ago, I think. Uh, there was a scene of her and Jim, like, talking and her apologizing for everything. Yeah. And, like, kind of redeeming herself, maybe. And this just, like, like stomps its own heart out. Yeah. No, it's awful. Like I said, like, this maybe could have worked more if we had gotten more of Montoya in this episode and saw that she was, like, conflicted. But the fact that, like, she's just totally cool with Jim, like, in the beginning of the episode, and then this at the end is just like, you fucking dick. It's real bad. So, yeah, this episode made me want to quit Gotham forever, and it still kind of makes me want to quit Gotham forever. Understandable. Power through, because we are not even at the fucking Scarecrow episodes. Like, that's the thing. I, I watched this episode, and I was like, God, this was bad. 
He's and I was like, let me look and see what other episodes are in the season. It's like the Scarecrow episodes are still in the season. The Red Hood episode is still in the season. There's some good shit that we haven't gotten to yet. So look forward to that. But boy, howdy, was this a rough one? I don't know if we'll be back next week, man. You're gonna have to find somebody to convince me. This is fucking. Whew. Let's uh, let's 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 hit the car- the villain rankings. Yes, please only forget about. Uh, the villain that is Renee Montoya and the villain. She is, is she's the true villain the of villain, Gotham. No, the true villain of Gotham is whoever writes the character of Barbara. It sucks that like, yeah, this is also like really the 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 two lesbian characters in the show have to be the worst characters in the show. Seriously, it's I so bad. Really want a strong female character to like and enjoy, and the best example we have is Catwoman. She's a kid, <laughs> and, and she's kid. No, oh, it's bad. It's real bad. I'm sorry. Well, there's, okay. fish, there's Fish Mooney. She's a, but she's also awful. She's also awful. She's a good character, but she is a scumbag. The only like one that we're gonna be able to hold on to maybe is Essen as like a redeemable. She's like barely in the show. I know, but I want her to be more involved. Yeah, me too. She's cool, and she also is a character from the comics. Like in the comics, she is supposed to eventually become Jim's second wife. Yeah, and then she, the Joker kills her in No Man's Land. Yeah, real sad. That issue is really good, though. No, it's great, but it's it's it it's very sad. sad. <laughs> no Man's Land's wild, dude. We could probably do a whole podcast just about No Man's Land because that story goes on forever, and some fucking wild shit happens in it. Yeah, it sure does. That's when that's when Montoya becomes a really great character in the comics. Yes, and that's around the time like Gotham Central's really building her up as well. Yeah, um, comics are good. Why are we doing a podcast about comics and not this bad show that I like? <laughs> look, man, you you convinced me to be here. Okay, you so tell he, me. Here's our ranking of the show's versions of established comic book villains. Number nine at the bottom: Poison, Pepper, Ivy. Eight is Lil Riddler. Number seven is Hush, who I don't think we're ever going to see again in this show, <laughs> but he's on there. Uh, number six is Catwoman, Selena Kyle. Number five is The Black Mask. Number four is Sal Maroney, who I feel like we haven't seen in a grip. I mean, maybe like one or two episodes. Uh, number three is Carmine Falcone. Number two is Oswald Cobblepot the Penguin. And number one is Victor Zaz, a.k.a. Mr. Zaz. So the new one we got in this episode is Harvey Dent. Yes. I imagine he's going to rank pretty low. Yes. Is he... Okay, well, here's, here's, here's the thing. Like, his characterization was all right. Like, you, were made, you made a compelling argument with the coin, but... With the whole, I'm going to rip you open, like, that just puts him real low. Do you want to, here's my, here's my suggestion, is we put him under Catwoman, but above Hush. Okay. Okay, and then do you want to move the Riddler to the bottom spot? Uh, the Riddler didn't do anything to, like, I don't remember why we put him there, but let's just keep him there, where he is right now, because I just... We did learn that he was a gamer in this episode. Yeah, so that that's endearing. Uh, and he didn't really do anything that terrible this episode, so I'll let him be. Okay, so the, the new list is... Now we got ten. So the top ten... <laughs> top ten. Uh, Gotham versions of comic villains are Poison Ivy, Riddler, Hush, Harvey Dent. I actually want to pause you. I want to put Harvey Dent under Hush. Under Hush. Because, like, Hush is fine. Like, his characterization is not terrible. Harvey Dent is. I feel like I'm... Like, I don't like Hush as a character, but, like, him as a bully is fine. Yeah, I think I got I get bogged down in thinking about his comics version of the character, which I don't like. Okay, so it's number 10, Poison Ivy, number 9, Riddler, number 8, Harvey Dent, number 7, Hush, number 6, Catwoman, number 5, Black Mask, number 4, Sal Moroni, number 3, Carmine Falcone, number 2, 
the Penguin, and number one, Mr. Zazz. Yep, that sounds about right. What fucking... How wild is it that we have a list of best villains and Mr. Zazz is number one on it? he's the best. He's really good in this show. Like, we still haven't seen him again, but like, he nothing has topped what he did in his appearance. Here's a, here's my here's the thing. Like, I think he's number one because he's the only one so far that's been allowed to be a supervillain. Yeah, like he did some supervillain shit when he like assaulted the police station, and nobody else has really done anything that dramatic. The Penguin's done a bunch of like. Dramatic stuff, but it's all because of the nature of his character in the show and the story they were telling with him. It's all in the shadows. And Plankman's plateau has uh, been happening with his killing. Cause, like, oh yeah, because he hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't killed anybody, so like nothing's really happening. He's just like sneaking around, and he's not amping anything up. So he, I think it's fair to say that Zaz definitely outdid him, and he hasn't. He has yet to reach the point where he's going to outdo what Zaz already did. And now you can't beat that funky town ringtone. It was, it's very good. Him having Funky Town as his ringtone is very good. Uh, oh, he has a cell phone. He does have Talking a cell phone. Talking about who has a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, he does have a cell phone. Um, okay. Josh? Yes. Do you love the television show, Gotham? How dare you even <laughs> ask me that after this episode? How dare you? I am insulted. Do you hate the show, Gotham? I think that's a fair question. Oh, I don't hate the show Gotham, but this episode was disappointing. Do you hate this episode? I hate this episode, yes. I hate this episode. Glad I don't hate agree. <laughs> I don't hate the show, because like, I still I still can look back, I can still take the locket from around my neck and look at the picture of the balloon man I have in it, and remember the good times when the balloon man was here. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, this has been a very bad episode, so we apologize, listeners. Yes. If you've tough. seen this episode... We're so sorry. Yes. Um, and then join us for our next episode, which is going to be episode 10, Lovecraft. Which is, is, we'll talk about it on the next episode, but I don't... We're not... So, it ain't no balloon, man. Listen, guys. Keep listening. We love you, and we are there for you, and please continue listening. Please. Please. <laughs>